0: Have you all been enjoying tent meeting? I uh, I, I kind of want to take a second to remind us all what a blessing tent meeting has been. I, I've been on the committee and um, I don't really like being on committees, but everything was all arranged and, you know, last year we tried to put everything together and, and we just couldn't get it to happen because of the, the COVID, you know. And we were all set to, to get everything set up and, said, well, maybe we should go talk to the health department and see what all we have to do. And, and the health department told us, so where is this thing going to be? Well, it's going to be, you know, outside. Outside? Well, yeah, outside in a tent. And they said, no, a tent's indoors. Everybody has to wear a mask. And at that point, we just kind of just thought it was just going to be too, too, too much. And they were afraid what the... But the neighborhood might think, oh, you know, everyone's afraid, and we're just doing this thing. And, but that was kind of the last straw, was we didn't think we'd be able to make that happen. And uh, then this year, well, everything was coming together, and it was beautiful. And we had our speaker back from the year before, and he was, this time he was able to actually get out of the, in and out of the country. He was from Costa Rica. And, um, and then maybe a week, two weeks out, his wife fell ill, and he wasn't able to come. And well, now what are we going to do? Well, we, had, we have some experience with this because that happened to us a couple of tent meetings ago. And so Davey got on the phone and next thing you know, he had the entire week filled with speakers. And I don't know if anyone said no, that he called. And God just really has worked and moved and all the messages have been, haven't they been awesome? So it, it was beautiful. God knew who we needed And he took care of it, I think. Well, this morning, let's turn to Matthew 7. And we're going to go down to verse 21. And Jesus says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And I will profess unto them. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work in iniquity. So a while ago, we have a um, small group Bible study now where um, we just have divided the church into a bunch of small groups and they go off and do, do what they want. It's been interesting. Um, so one brother there, he's an older brother. He's kind of, i say a romantic about the world and the way and his, our relationship with God. And he, he had this book he was real excited about that he'd been given. And the title of the book was Cold Noses at the Pearly Gates. And, you know, based on the back cover, because I, I looked at it, and the premise is that, well, of course, we're all going to be reunited with our pets, at least if they're dogs, when, when we get to heaven. And it seems like a lot of people think that think of their pets in heaven with them, and you know they want to have their their pets in heaven with them. We have that kind of relationship with our animals, it seems. And well, if we think our dogs are gonna make it to heaven, or we worry about that, how, how much more anxious must we be that, that our family members, our friends, our neighbors, the folks at the church down the street, aren't we anxious that they'll all be there too? This, this passage here, this is the most terrifying verse in scripture, I bet, believe. And Jesus tells us that there are going to be many people who think they're going to heaven who will not. And these people call Jesus Lord. They've done wonderful works in his name. Well, if those people aren't going to heaven, then who is? And certainly this is a question that we might be asked by other believers and non-believers alike. Do, do we have an answer to that question? 1 Peter three fifteen and 16, Peter tells us, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. Having a good conscience that, whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed to falsely accuse your good conversation with Christ. I started this series of Have a Ready Answer uh, because there were questions in my congregation from a lot of the young people. We don't understand this doctrine. We don't understand that doctrine. And so I thought it had run for, I don't know, a couple months. And it's been a year now. And it still seems there are a lot of things that we only have questions and needs to talk about. And we should be ready to answer things because we put ourselves, we are out in the community where people can see us and they can see we're willing to show our faith in the way that we live and the way that we dress. And so people ask questions. We have answers. If we claim the name of Christian, we should have an answer to this. It's, It's directly the question... Peter refers to here, why do you think you'll be in heaven? Have you been asked that before? Maybe you've been asked a different version. Maybe you've been asked, as I have, by people both inside and outside of the church, do you believe that only Mennonites are going to heaven? That's really more of an accusation than a question, isn't it? How can you think that you're the only ones that are going to heaven? That's so rude, so arrogant. And we even tend to answer it as if we've been accused. Well, no, of course we don't believe that. We don't teach that. I'm sure there are true believers in every church. That seems like the right answer, doesn't it? Doesn't Paul tell us not to judge another servant? Romans 14, 4, Paul says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up for God is able to make him stand. So if people are going to heaven from every church, why does it matter which church I go to? Why go here or or there or across the street? Why why not? What difference does it make? Why, Why shouldn't I marry or date a young man or lady who attends a different church? Comes from a different tradition. Why shouldn't I visit around and attend any service that looks interesting to me? They're they're going to heaven. Don't they have something to teach me? If those people are going to heaven too, can't they teach me something? After all, they're Christians too, aren't they? in our area we've had a couple of um, fair-sized churches lately break up. And so now the people who left those churches have planted new churches. Well, that's, that's good. But a lot of our young people then are interested. Well, what's going on over there? Shouldn't we go and see? Maybe there's something going on over there that's better than what we have here. Why shouldn't we go over there. They're Christians too, aren't they? But Jesus didn't say all dogs go to heaven. And here he says that not everyone who claims the faith is going to heaven either. So that really isn't even the question, is it? Whether those people over there are going to heaven the question isn't, are the Baptists or the Catholics or the Mennonites or the Methodists or the guys at the fire hall going to heaven? God knows their hearts, not, not you and I. We don't have to judge. The question is, are you going to heaven? Am I going to heaven? That's the only real question. 2 Peter first 10 and 11, Peter says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So who is going to heaven? And how do you and I become part of that number? Well, what, what excuse me, what must we do to be saved? You can turn over to Acts 2. And we'll go down to verse 37. And Peter has just given his sermon here of Pentecost. Now when they heard this, And so what must we do to make our calling and election sure? Well, who isn't going? Peter tells us we need to repent. Repent from what? If we're going to attain victory, we have to remember what it is that we're victorious over. You can turn back to Matthew 5. And down to verse 17. And Jesus says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth shall pass, One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, Till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments, And shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and of Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That sounds a little rough, doesn't it? Well, the Pharisees graded the law there were greater and lesser laws. Like man's laws, some of God's laws were felonies and some were misdemeanors. But Jesus says, even the dots over the eyes and the spaces between the words are essential to the law. Anyone teaching that God's word can be disregarded is not worthy to teach in God's kingdom. So at least of no worth last smallest does being called least or great in the kingdom imply being in the kingdom so is that okay I, I'm least in the kingdom but I'm, I'm in there right I got in does is that what that implies that I'm in the kingdom of God when well, Galatians five nineteen, Paul writes now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelies, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus said, depart from me ye that work iniquity. So we cannot continue in sin and claim the name of Christ. We cannot teach sin and be in the kingdom of heaven. Being least means being not qualified. Not qualified to teach means not qualified to enter. Romans one thirty two says, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So this is the final state of a reprobate man. He's given over to his lusts and desires, and he not only disobeys God in every way, but encourages others to also, and is pleased when they do. We turn over to 2 Peter 2. And down to verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So sadder still are those people who've heard the gospel and then returned to their former ways. And now they're become false teachers. Sirens to lure the saved back onto the rocks. Peter says it would have been better for them if they had never even heard the gospel. Those who minimize God's word, unrepentant sinners, those who encourage others to sin, false teachers, none of these will be in heaven. But isn't that what we teach in any Christian church? You don't have to be Mennonite to have heard all that. So so again, why do I have to come here instead of somewhere else? Well, what is the teaching of the church? Does the doctrine match the preaching? Do people's actions then match the doctrine? Does the doctrine match scripture? Are the teachings of the church Jesus' teachings? John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 21, Jesus says, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. I never knew you. Who does Jesus know? He knows those who love him. And the proof of our love is in our obedience. So, obedience to what? If we are not taught Jesus' commandments, how can we obey them and be known by him? So what are his teachings? If, if we go to visit a church, wouldn't it be nice if there were just some, some quick test we could make to see if God's teachings are being taught and held to? If there were like some little you know, check boxes that we could check off and know that we're in a church that teaches what Jesus taught. A simple test of whether a church will help you Get to heaven. Well, that has to come from its response to Jesus' teachings then. Turn over to Matthew 5. And we'll start at verse 21. And Jesus says, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out hence, until thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Angry speech. Disagreements in the brotherhood. Lawsuits. Jesus says these things are urgent matters. So urgent that they have to be resolved before we can bring our offering to God. Does the church teach that it's okay to sue at law? Does it teach reconciliation? Is there counsel before communion? Check the box. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. And cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. What feeds lust in this society? Television, movies, advertising, social media, fashion. It's not just pornography. We can go to Walmart and see plenty of things that we should never see. Lust is used in our society to sell anything and everything. What is the church's stand on these things? I attended a Methodist church, it's a huge church, thousand members, and the pastor had a big screen that he would pull down during his message and they would play video clips to punctuate parts of the message to, to get his point across. His favorite movies to get illustrations from were the Harry Potter movies, movies about children and witchcraft. It's kind of a disconnect there, don't you think? Can we use these things and still obey this teaching of Christ? Can we use worldly things that reach out to the flesh and still be obeying this teaching of Christ? It hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. The average length of a marriage in the United States is seven years. Seven years. That's barely long enough to see a child into grade school. Estimates of the divorce rate are as high as 54% over half. And the divorce rate in America is about the same for churched and unchurched couples. And that is an absolute disgrace on all those churches. Does the church allow divorce and remarriage? Are people there divorced and remarried? What about the ministry? Is that the environment that you wish to be in and raise your children in? The same church with the big screen, the minister. He was a lovely man. Don't get me wrong. His messages were powerful, but he was divorced and remarried, and his wife who was also a minister in the methodist church was also divorced and remarried in the church at one point they were having a recovery from divorce class to help people who were going through divorce and i asked him brother where's the savior marriage class isn't that where we really need to be malachi 2:16 says For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Jesus' teaching here is totally consistent. God hates divorce. Can you be saved in a church that allows and even supports divorce? Again, ye have heard it said of them of old time. Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. I can testify to that. But let your communication be yea, yea, or nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Are, Are oaths a small thing? Is it okay to say the Pledge of Allegiance? Is it okay to give sworn testimony? Well, if you say, so help me God, and then perjure yourself, you've made God guilty with you. You said, God helped me with this and then lied. So either God helped you to lie or God didn't help you at all. The Pledge of Allegiance, I mean, many American churches support them. I've heard the Pledge of Allegiance said in church, and it's even worse. Aside from the fact that from a secular point of view, no free man should be made to take a loyalty oath. I mean, that's just the most non-American thing done in America. It's an oath of loyalty to something other than God. You're pledging allegiance to the flag, the country. Your allegiance has to be to God. It's idolatry. Can we go to a church that practices idolatry? You've heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, But I say unto you, that ye resist no evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. The law... Sometimes we don't understand. The law is absolutely revolutionary in its justice. The concept of equal repayment, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, not death for any offense, was unique. Compare God's law to the famous Roman justice. The people crucified on either side of Jesus were mere thieves. Their penalty wasn't repayment, it was death. But Jesus says, we we aren't to seek repayment at all. We are to be generous and meek and not sue to recover every penny of damage or resist any kind of servitude. We're to trust God for justice and not just the brotherhood. The reference here to whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, that's a reference to a Roman law that a Roman soldier could compel anyone to help him carry his burden for a mile of his march. So it doesn't just apply to other Christians. This is the way we're to treat everyone. Is is this taught? Or are we allowed to be selective in who we would turn the other cheek to or go the extra mile for? Who we would sue at law versus who we would not? Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if he love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? The lawyer asked Jesus, But who is my neighbor? Do we get to choose who we love and who we hate? Jesus says, No. What teaching is there? Does the church have armed guards? Many do now. Are the people in the church armed? Do they send their sons and daughters to war? Do we trust the Lord or do we trust our own right hand? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is is perfect. Perfect, complete, holy. We've only scratched the surface of Christian doctrine here. These are basic instructions from Jesus for life in the kingdom. We haven't discussed any 20th or 21st century issues. We haven't talked about politics or homosexuality or transgenderism or women ministers or even the head covering or separate dress. There's nothing distinctly Mennonite here. These are six basic points from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' own words. Every Jew who heard this sermon understood Jesus clearly and knew exactly what he was talking about. So if you're thinking of attending or visiting a church or moving to a church, what's the score? Five out of six? Four? John Risser asked a friend How many of the teachings of Christ can you ignore and still claim to be a Christian? I know that because he asked me by way of telling me that story. Jesus gives the answer. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. The only acceptable score is 100, all of them. If any of these things are not taught, or if they are taught as lesser commandments, things that can be ignored in this circumstance or that circumstance, then you're being taught another gospel. You're being taught another Jesus. In Galatians 1, verse 6 through 9, Paul says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another but there be some that trouble you, and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And as we said before, so I say I now again: If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. This is this is quite an opening. All right, this is Galatians one six. Here, this is pretty much the first sentence after hello in this this book. How can it be that you're listening to another gospel? Well, the same question applies to us today. If we want to go to heaven, why are we listening to other gospels? Yes, we should test. We should hold all teachings against scripture But having failed the test, you've heard enough. You should be out of there. But isn't it closed-minded not to go to other churches? Does, Does everything have to be our way? Are we not trustworthy to discern the scriptures? Is it that our ministry doesn't trust us? Is the ministry hiding something from us? Is there some great good we're going to find in this other church that the ministry won't let us have for some reason? Turn over to 2 Corinthians 11. I starting at verse 1. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous of you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused to you one husband, you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, Or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Paul expresses this lovely thought for the Corinthians here, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I have protected and treasured you like my own daughter. I have taught you one doctrine, one gospel, so that you can be presented pure of mind and heart to Christ. Another translation renders it, but I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom whom we have not preached or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted you may well put up with it. What was Eve's mistake with the serpent? Simply that she listened to him. He told her that God was a liar and she stayed to hear more. Why? She had heard all that she needed to know. How did that work out? The New Living Translation renders that verse, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. Now, I think the NLT makes that even harsher than Paul intended it. But the question remains, if the test was failed, why would you continue to listen? We can all have itchy ears. We're all wanting to hear the answer to something that we're struggling with. We're wanting to hear the answer that we want to hear. Wouldn't we just like to hear that we don't have to worry about that struggle. Oh, that really wasn't an issue after all. You you don't have to do this or worry about that. It's okay. Someone to free us from from standards and religion and rules and, and worry. But obedience does not equal legalism. And ignorance does not equal spirituality. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. When you question the doctrines here of the church, ask yourself, do you question Calvin, Luther, Smith, Zwingli, the Pope, your friend who left the church? Do you question them as closely as you would question Grable, Mance, Blaurock, Menno, Brunk, your own ministry, your own father? Do you have the same level of questioning for those men with their doctrines? Romans 16, 17 and 19 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple for your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Well, uh, that's just getting offensive, isn't it? That sounds like the ban, right? If my friend or relative leaves the church, I'm just supposed to write them off. How How can that be right? But that's not what it says, is it? You know, most of us have friends in other churches and friends who have left the church, and mostly they expect us to respect their decision, even be happy for them. But do they respect your commitment to stay? Are you able to have a conversation on common ground about faith? Or do they find it necessary to justify themselves by taking down your faith in your church. There there will always be those still in the church struggling and questioning. questions are good, but we have to remember that we can question without causing division. Are we questioning seeking answers or are we questioning looking for an excuse to leave? But it's still good to ask, are we who we think we are? I'll turn over to Acts 19. And down to verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them. So that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Why didn't the spirit know the sons of Sceva? Because they called on the name of Jesus but they didn't know him. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? Did they? Jesus said, no, they did not. I never knew you. They may have used his name, but their works were for themselves as they continued to live in sin. They were either proud, or deceived, or both. We also need to question our motives, and our love for Christ. In 2 Peter 1, Peter writes, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Having undertaken this diligence, then we can see to others. Having secured our faith, then we can see to our family, to our brothers and our sisters, to the man you work with, the person you meet on the street. So, why come here? Do I really have a better opportunity to go to heaven if I come here? No church is perfect. They're they're all made up of people. I I always, I tell seekers, when you find that perfect church, whatever you do, don't join because it won't be perfect anymore. People aren't perfect. I was at a um, seminar up at um, Penn Valley for people who had been abused. And um, I was invited to go along by a friend who attends there. And I'll tell you, if you ever get the opportunity to go there, it's a very difficult place to go as a minister because a lot of the people there have been badly used, if not abused directly by their ministry. And it uh, it was a rough weekend. And there was this one old order man there, and it seemed like Every time we sat down for lunch, I ended up sitting across from him. And it was like voluntary seating. He just came in and sat down. I don't know how that worked. And from the very first moment, he challenged me, are you a liberal? And, well, I don't have a horse, so maybe. <laughs> and and we, we struggled and went back and forth through the whole week. But I think we ended up being quite a blessing to each other. So in his church, um, well, there, there had been abuse in his church. And then they had called in bishops from outside to help them resolve this problem and the bishops had they basically punted and the whole church was in an uproar and people didn't know whether to leave and the ministry was even split over over what was going on And, and he was just you could tell he was just torn to pieces by it and finally I asked him why don't you just leave why don't you just take your family and and get out and go to another church where you can have peace and he said because i love my church and i will stay and i will do the best that i can for the one that i love do you love your church I came to the conference because people I loved were here. It wasn't for the church. It wasn't because I was seeking a particular doctrine. People I loved came to the church. And so I came. I stayed because the church passed the test, the truth was taught even things that I did not want to hear, things that I never wanted to face in my life. The truth was taught. I will not leave because I love the church. And if you leave, don't expect me to be happy for you because you have hurt the one that I love. Whatever happens, I will do my best for her to keep her strong. In John 6, 68, Jesus asked the disciples, will you also go after so many had left because the teaching was too hard? And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Come, test, question, fall in love, stay, hear the words of life. Shall we have a song? I was so blessed by your children's response to the children's message. They're being taught. They'll love the church. Shall we stand for closing prayer? Father, we thank you for this time to be gathered here together and to have you here among us. We thank you for your many promises to us. We thank you for your love to us, for your care for us, for your provision for us. We thank you, Lord for the church that you've provided us. We thank you for clear teaching of doctrine. Thank you for the clear handling of your scripture. We thank you for men who love the word, who love the church and are willing to serve. We thank you for parents who bring their children up in the Lord, loving you, knowing how to serve you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us we ask that this day you would go with us guide and direct us as we go out into the world with your word to strengthen us to give it to all that we would meet to teach the true gospel to show the example of jesus everywhere we go in jesus name we pray amen when we walk with the Lord in the-